It is the 200 level live from the basement episode 71 ask carp anything as we try to find some sort of resemblance of normalcy in a very not normal time abnormal I guess would be the word I figured let's see what questions you got it could be sports related music related anything and I will answer them on this podcast along with a few musings as we are now in what day five essentially of lockdown which for me kind of started last Thursday night last Friday so here we are St. Patrick's Day first off happy St. Patrick's Day to all you Irish people or non-Irish people as well and just drink at home I know that they say that's like a problem. No, guess what? The great thing is if you like drinking alone at home, you now have a perfectly good excuse to do so. So I would say take up the CDC's advice and drink your whiskey and your Guinness at home and feel no shame in doing so. This is another solo podcast of the 200 level. We will get Isaac and Trevor and then to be honest, since most people are just kind of staying home, we will try to get an interview sort of thing going on as we go through these next few weeks, next, what, couple months, three months, four months, who knows? We don't really have a timeline for how long this is going to last, but we're still going to be bringing the podcast to you, the amount of which that's kind of up in the air, but I got to be honest with you, this for me is an outlet and a necessary one, and I would not be surprised if at least twice a week I'm just coming down to the basement, and they may each be, let's say, an hour long, as opposed to some of the more marathon sessions that we used to do, but I will try to get as much material out there so you have more podcasting availability, more options to listen to to get away from the the noise that is, you know, the news, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, wherever you're consuming it, because This is one of those times where even for myself, someone that avoids cable news just so I don't get kind of sucked into it, I do want to stay on top of the information as it comes out. And one way to do that is to have the TV on something, to be checking Twitter regularly. And I've been doing that. And for the first time this morning, I woke up at about 3 a.m. And I was up until about 5. I could not fall back asleep. First time that that's happened where this has affected my sleep. I'm not surprised. Uh, I figured that was coming. It probably didn't help that I had a nap yesterday. So I've gotten plenty of sleep the last few days. But certainly this is going to have an effect on us mentally as well. So what is the 200 Levels mission? You know, what is our goal over these next two, three months as we live in a sportsless world and can't really react to anything Illini related? We're just going to be a podcast. Nothing more, nothing less. Sports, of course, are going to be a big part of it. But Let's be real. You know, there are bigger things in sports right now. So striking that balance, that's going to be tough. And bear with me as we try to do that. But I think with all the questions that we got in on Twitter, I think I got about 16 of them to go through. Uh, We can do this. And thank you. Thank you for helping me with the programming part of it, because that's the toughest. I got to give Jeremy and Austin and then Lon, Derek, Trevor, all those guys credit for doing the daily sports show in a time like this. So kudos to them. I get the easy thing where I just get to come down here and rattle off for about an hour at a time and then go back up and hang with the dog. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, first off, how's everybody doing? And I I mean that genuinely because this is, as I said in the last episode, uncharted territory. I just did it again. If you were listening to that last episode, you notice it was titled Uncharted Territory. That's the correct way to say it. But for some reason, I keep adding that extra R, uncharted. It's not a word. It's not, but for some reason I keep saying that. But legitimately, how are you doing? I think that's the first question to ask because whether you are by yourself or whether you got a significant other or whether you got a full family unit to take care of, this is a very trying time mentally more so than physically because anyone can stay home and watch TV, but there is a shelf life to that. Here's what I do for my own sanity. This is one of them. This is a creative outlet. Another one is fortunately a couple weeks ago, I went in the studio to lay down 12 guide tracks for my band's next album. And I can come down here to the same basement setup and record all the guitar parts and pretty soon the vocals and essentially have an album done. Whenever this thing ends, I'll probably have 12 tracks ready to go just because of all the extra time. So I got the creative endeavors. And then for me, I need to be able to run and they can quarantine. They can do whatever they need to as long as I can get outside and go on runs, I'm fine. Okay, I'm, I'm okay, I will make it through. That Those to me are the outlets that I have along with, you know, Friday Night Lights, which we're binging right now, or other TV shows or movies. So I'm gonna try to find the balance between that. Kara has to work, um, I do not, and I don't know when schools are gonna get back in session. It seems like there's certain things that have become inevitable, 
And I think back to last week when all the conference tournaments started you know, falling one by one, and it seemed inevitable that the Big Ten tournament would not happen. And then it seemed inevitable that the NCAA tournament wasn't going to happen. Well, all of these dominoes continue to fall, and I'm beginning to think that I may not be going back to school this year until August, you know, when hopefully this thing is blown over by then. But for this school year, it's probably over. Now, I go back and forth on that. I am fortunately someone that I can find things to do, so I don't mind having to keep myself occupied or find different activities. That's not an issue. There will be moments of boredom, but that goes with anybody in this situation. But I do have the luxury and care as well. Being in education, we have basically been assured or given a job security that a lot of people don't have. And that leads me into our sponsors, which I don't think any of these guys are going to be hurting because they run fantastic businesses. And there are ways that through the course of this recession, inevitable recession, and this pandemic, they're going to stay afloat because of the quality of their businesses. But I would be remiss if I did not remind you to support your local restaurants. There are amazing opportunities, whether it be delivery or carry out. I mean, the city of Champaign is setting up these curbside pickups for basically every restaurant. And one of those that you need to frequent if you can, not just because it's tasty, not just because it's affordable, but DP Doe has been a supporter of the 200 level from the beginning. And really, I've had a relationship with Steve and DP Doe dating all the way back to, I think, 2013 on 93.5. So through any sports talk endeavor that I've had. DP Doe has been right there and they are the perfect kind of place, an example of how you can't support a local business during this trying time. Restaurants, as long as they're open before any sort of, you know, lockdown or quarantine, frequent them now. Buy a gift card. Go online to DP Doe. They got merch, some really awesome t-shirts and swag. However you do it, dpdoe.com and they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So order online at dpdoe.com. Also, Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. And, you know, regardless of what goes on with this pandemic, you need something to wear. And if you want to feel warm and fuzzy about Illini sports, no better way to do that than ordering these awesome vintage-inspired Illini apparel from fourthandkirby.com with coupon code THE200LEVEL or just 200LEVEL for 10% off, fourthandkirby.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen. And I'm the kind of person that I usually have to defer to my parents or my insurance agent when it comes to matters, you know, the more kind of nuts and bolts of things during times like this. So if you need an expert, I would just recommend going to brianismyguide.com because things are going to happen, right? And you want to at least be assured that your insurance is covering all the bases. And they do that along with Brian and all the staff that are Champaign-Urbana products. Go to brianismyguide.com for all that information. Also, alanainquire.com. They're partners in the relaunch, or I guess we've been around for a while now, so we don't need to say that anymore, but they've been partners with us since August. And I would encourage you to go to alanainquire.com and support them because they're still finding ways to churn out content. Again, all the more impressive that Jeremy and Derek and those guys, they talk two hours a day about this. And they still write stories of a high quality. They got a bracket going on right now of Illini basketball players that is sure to get Illini fans a little bit of something in a month where we thought we'd have more. And, of course, the Champagne Showers Podcast Network on Twitter at 217showers. I was just on a recent episode of the Champagne is also a band podcast talking music. So we will talk a little bit of all these sorts of things today. Sports, music, movies, you name it. I got all these questions here. And I figured let's get to it. It is Ask Carp Anything on the 200 level, beginning with, okay, let's start with this. This is from Alani Polls, and this looks to be a relatively new Twitter page, but a few nights ago, they released a bracket for Alani Sports Media. Well, let's put it two ways, actually. There's media and fans. So this is an Alani Twitter account bracket. I was fortunate enough to get a five seed in one of the media regions, and I won my first matchup. How about that? I beat Joey Wagner, and now I'm going on to face, I believe, Tyler Cottingham, who is a four seed. So it's the traditional four versus five matchup. Excited for that. (laughs) Trevor, this was where I had a conflict of interest. Trevor and Breitweiser were facing each other. I did not vote. I did not vote. I could not vote for either the person I started the 200 level with or the person uh, I do it with now who's a great friend. Both of them are good friends. So I couldn't vote for that, but there were other ones that I was able for fun to get in on. And you got the one seeds here. Jeremy, of course, is a one seed in the media bracket. Tom Fornelli is one of the fans and number one seed. We also have Robert Rosenthal from Illini as the other one seed in the media side. And then, of course, you have Bob Zupke 
on Twitter. He's the other one seed for the fans. But some other notables here as I'm looking down the list, you got uh, Brad Evans is a five seed. So somehow I have the same seeding as Brad Evans. That's an honor in and of itself. You have, uh, let's see, Isaac Trotter getting the 13, Craig Choate the 12, uh, Scott Ritchie the three. Let's see, Lante the 10. That's a value pick right there. And he did beat Doug Bouchon, a seven seed, in their first matchup. I think Doug still has me blocked or muted. I'm not really sure. That was always kind of an odd dynamic. Lauren Tate, the two seed, a legend, of course. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a Jeremy Werner, <laughs> Lauren Tate, Elite Eight matchup in that side of the bracket. On the fan side, one of the fans brackets here, we got Dave Wisnowski as a 13 seed which seems like a value pick because he seems to get a lot of play on Twitter. And then you also have David Thiessen as the 15, which I thought at least David Thiessen's in this thing. But, man, shouldn't David Thiessen be a much higher seed, even if he is a little bit odd? Okay, on the other side of the media bracket, so, again, I'm the five in this second media side. We got Robert Rosenthal from Lion Eye. He's the one. Ryan Baker as an eight. Let's see. Brett Barron's is an 11. Austin Berkland is a six. How about that, Austin? Way to go. Derek Piper is a two. <laughs> yeah, so this is for fun. I-, I thought it was kind of cool that this came out. And as it goes along, yeah, I'll- I want to make the second weekend. I want to make the Sweet 16. So again, I think I'm facing Tyler Cottingham. As they set up the the next pair of brackets, I will get that out there if people want to vote. But something fun to do. And uh, it gives us fodder. So yes, Alani polls. We started with that Ask Carp Anything. What do I think about these polls? I think they're pretty funny. And go with it. Have fun with it. Trevor Valise and Brightweiser again. That was a heck of a matchup. Trevor did edge out Brightweiser. And our friends Fourth and Kirby got the upset. They're a 13 seed. They're moving on to the round of 32. Okay, elsewhere for these questions, we have from Lewis. All things considered, is this the most disappointing end to a basketball season that you can remember? Lewis, I don't think so, and I'm not just trying to say that to paint a rosy picture when there is not a rosy picture to paint. I'm saying that because of the way that the season ended. I'm just talking on the court. The final moment, the final image we get is Kofi getting the block on the Big Ten Player of the Year to seal the 13th Big Ten win for a team that the year before had lost 13 Big Ten games. That alone tells me that, no, this is not the worst way for a season to end. The extenuating circumstances of a pandemic Yeah, Uh, but you can't plan for that, of course, and that's so far out of this team's control. To me, the most bitter ends to seasons are when you had the ability to control your own destiny and you just weren't able to do it. Now, there's a couple examples of those. One would be the disappointing years. So the John Gross era, for example, was rife with examples of disappointing ends to seasons because you weren't able to lock up that elusive tournament bid. So we can go to the second year where Tracy misses the runner. And if you would have just beat Michigan, you probably sneak into the tournament. You can go to the third year, which was probably the best collection of talent that John Gross had in the game at Purdue where you were up 15, 16 points, whatever it was. And then you end up losing by five and you miss the tournament. Go figure. And then I think it's smoked in all the NIT games. Those are disappointing, far more disappointing than this. To me, though, uh, there's the other side of it where you've had really good Illini teams that have had disappointing ends to years. I can go back to the Elite Eight game in 2001. And some of those things were out of the team's control. Of course, all the fouls that were called against them, five guys fouling out. But I remember the feeling of disappointment knowing that we were so close to a Final Four, that we were worthy of a Final Four bid, and we didn't get to experience that as a fan base, and that that team didn't get to hang that banner for a Final Four. We don't have banners for Elite Eight. And I think that's the right thing. But that team was as deserving of any other Illini team that I've seen to make a Final Four, and it wasn't in the cards that day. It was one of the roughest two-and-a-half-hour, I think it was a a two-and-a-half-hour game, based on all the fouls. And being at Legends, a packed Legends with all of our family and friends, and the feeling of emptiness after that, that kind of disappointment to me is a lot harder than what we're dealing with now. There is the unknown. There's the unknown in that we don't know how far this team could have gone And there's disappointment in that. There's no doubt that there's disappointment in not ever finding out if this team could make the second weekend of the tournament or make a run in the Big Ten tournament. To me, those would have been just cherries on top of what was already a delicious Sunday. The way that this team finished out the Big Ten regular season qualifies this as a success regardless. Full stop, right? And the pandemic aside... I'm not going to look back on this as some sort of disappointing end of the season. I'm still going to look back on this season as the beginning, hopefully, of sustained success. So that's a great question. 
I understand why there is that disappointment, or I should say a feeling of being unfulfilled. You know, we didn't get to experience that as a fan base when we were so hungry for it, but we will. We will get to experience it, and this team will have its place in Illini history. And certainly after all this, I do think that as time goes on and we return to normalcy and we get into the fourth year under Brad Underwood and I think presumably make another tournament, we will look back on just all this craziness and say, damn, what a year. And man, they got their 13 Big Ten wins with style. Think of all the late game heroics. Think of the very few blowouts and how all of these were white knuckle games and they got so many of those on the W side of that column. I, I think that this is not at all disappointing in the season because of the extenuating circumstances that this team had zero control over. All right, this is from our old friend Brightweiser. Where does Carter Beaufort rank on the list of all-time drumming greats, and will we even see any Dave Matthews Band shows in summer of 2020? Let's start with the second part of that question, Steve. I don't know. I'm going to let you know right now that for me, the sort of benchmark of returning to normalcy with any sort of expediency is going to be July 10th, Alpine Valley, not for Dave, for Rage Against the Machine. I love Dave. It's a summer tradition. But Rage Against the Machine was the concert or concerts. I had a St. Louis gig in May that got postponed that I was circling for my summer concert season. So for me, July 10th, Alpine Valley, Rage Against the Machine. I am fine Okay, from a selfish point of view, of course, if things can return to normal and that concert happens the date that it's scheduled, that would be a huge thing for me. For Dave, the two shows that I got right now are Deer Creek and that's in June. I bet we'll know within the next month if there's going to be any summer tour for Dave. You know, I put it a 50-50 shot. I'm trying to stay optimistic, not just for Dave, but for sports, um, concert season in general, for just getting out and returning to normal. And... I need to keep that optimism, right? That maybe there's some antiviral treatment, not a vaccine, but some sort of treatment that we can begin treating the people that have it. And then hopefully finally we have the test to figure out who has it, who doesn't. And then if there's some sort of screening mechanism that you can begin having events again, the likelihood of that again, it might not look so good right now, but I got to keep that optimism. Those are the things I look forward to every year. Those are the outlets for me, the release valve to go to these concerts. So I was even thinking about my own personal bands, the decadence gig in April. And we got to confirm this, but it ain't going to happen because the CDC, the eight week thing, you know, no more than 50 people. And now they're recommending no more than 10 people at any given time. Cause I was thinking, well, maybe we don't draw 50 people the next decade. It's hard enough to draw people to any concert locally, but that is probably not going to happen until later. And then the mojo, the Tom Petty gigs that we have scheduled for the summer again, who knows? And we're going to play it safe. And the other factor is, are we going to rehearse when they're calling for social isolation? So will we even be ready to go out and gig when these things are scheduled? So this has wide-reaching effects for the music industry in general. And we say music industry. It's not just the Taylor Swifts and the Lizzo's of the world. I'm thinking of sound engineers, a couple of friends of mine that are sound engineers. There's not gigs to engineer now. So there's not money coming in. The bars and the venues that have a hard enough time staying open, what are they going to do? When all is said and done, are they're going to be half the venues that we have now? It's a possibility. It's a scary possibility. And I'm hoping this is where, you know, the limited knowledge I have of politics kind of comes in here. I'm just saying, you know, legislation, please get passed something that will give small businesses in general that bridge to get from this point here in March to the summer and not all of them or half of them or even a quarter of them have to fold. And for me, that hits home with the music industry. Beginning, you know, macro with Dave Matthews Band, will there be a tour? Well, if there's not, Dave's going to be fine. Carter's going to be fine. And we'll get to the drumming thing in a bit. Will I be fine? Well, yeah, because music is a side project for me. But there's far too many people that their livelihoods are entrenched in these smaller venues, theaters, clubs, and they won't have gigs for a while. So thinking about them, of course, in this time. Now to the question about Carter Beaufort and drumming. Carter Beaufort is the most technically proficient drummer I've ever seen live. And in that way, he's a lot like Neil Peart from Rush. He can maximize the use of a 40, 50-piece drum set where most guys, you know, I, I would, I'm fine with a five-piece drum set. Snare, three toms, kick drum, and some cymbals. I don't need any more than that. And really, I probably don't need more than two toms. But I'm a more rudimentary kind of player, like a Ringo. Ringo would not work behind a 50-piece drum set. 
but Carter has this ridiculous ability to utilize that entire drum set, be technically proficient, and play with power and dynamics. So if he's got to scale it back, he can do that, but he can play with just crazy power. For a guy that is in his 60s now and is not slowing down, and apparently he's healthier than ever. We had a friend who was a truck driver for Dave, and a couple summers ago was telling us how Carter had this new young girlfriend who was this fitness guru, yoga instructor, and now he's doing yoga and he's having all these healthy smoothies and he lost like 50 pounds and he looks great. You know, he does look really fit now. So I'm hoping that buys Carter more time. And yes, I would say Carter's the best drummer I've ever seen live in terms of the best drummers of all time, which is such a subjective thing. I put John Bonham at the top of the list based on the impact that he had on rock drumming and the groove. And to give you an example of that, Carter Beaufort, as Dave Matthews Band, they covered Cashmere by Zeppelin. Now, that's a fairly simple drum groove, but there is a, a subtle kind of rhythm, a groove that Bonham has that gives it its power. Same thing with When the Levee Breaks or Misty Mountain Hop. You can't just get behind the drum set and play rudimentary one, two, three, four, and have the same sort of swing that Bonham does. And it struck me when I heard the Dave Matthews Band cover of Cashmere that I know Carter could play anything technically that John Bonham could, but he was not able to play cashmere with the same groove or swing that John Bonham did, or power for that matter. So John Bonham, to me, despite the fact that he probably could not play a Dave Matthews Band show with the same technical proficiency as Carter, I don't know if technical proficiency is necessarily the mark of the best in any particular field. John Bonham maximized what he had and made the band around him that much better. I'm going Bonham. I know it's apples and oranges. I'm going Carter number two. Neil Peart is in that same sort of ballpark. And then he can fall behind that. There's the crazy drummers like the Mitch Mitchells of the Jimi Hendrix experience, which I lump him and Keith Moon with each other from The Who. They're very energetic, intense drummers. They're constantly playing fills, right? But that actually works for their bands. So all these different kinds of variety of drummers, the ones I always look at are John Bonham at the top. I look at Carter Beaufort right beneath that, along with Neil Peart as the technically proficient guys. Some of my favorites, though, I got to say, I love Phil Rudd from ACDC, which if you listen to old ACDC records, yeah, it's simple. But there are some nuances he's playing with, especially on the hi-hat, where he's the only guy that works for ACDC. They've had a bunch of drummers, but they are at their best with Phil Rudd. So... Drumming is one of those things, along with any sort of instrument, it is truly subjective, but I'm going Bonham, number one, always has been for me. He's the one I got a tattoo of, of that symbol from the Led Zeppelin album, Led Zeppelin 4. He's tops for me and will always remain so. This is from Matthew. What are the chances Whitman becomes Big Ten Commissioner after Illinois basketball wins a national championship and Illinois football wins the Rose Bowl? Well, Matthew, the latter ain't going to happen with Lovey Smith. And it's amazing that, first off, you're not going to have spring practice, but that goes for everybody. I have never been less enthused about the overall direction of this football program. Uh, well, let me take a step back. That's That might be hyperbole because the Beckman era, no one was excited about that. I get it. I was excited at the start of this Lovey thing, and I should be more excited after a 6-1 year. But the way that it ended gives me concern that the four-game win streak was more of an aberration. Contrast that with Illinois basketball, and after that four-game slide, they won five of their last six, which convinced me that this is not some sort of aberration. They're going to sustain something over there at Ubbin and State Farm Center. Over at the Smith Football Complex and Memorial Stadium, I'm not quite as sure. So I don't think the Rose Bowl is happening anytime soon, and I do think that as much as I like Whitman, his whole thing is football. You know, let's be honest, he is doing a great job of building facilities and raising money, even when the revenue sports did not have a lot of success until this men's basketball season. But football is what he probably wants to hang his hat on. And so far, it has been very underwhelming and things are just not trending well. So as much as I like Whitman, I don't foresee him as the Big Ten commissioner. You'd have to look way down the road. He's as sharp and eloquent as any AD in the conference. But you need to turn that football thing around. And you got the facility now to maybe help you out with it. But yes, when I read your question, Matthew, I'm thinking Rose Bowl, that, no, that ain't going to happen. Not with Lovey. It's not going to happen with Lovey. And then whoever you bring in, unfortunately, the cupboard is going to be so bare in 2021 that you're essentially going to be asking for yet another rebuild. And now, with all the coronavirus thing going on, I do wonder what impact that has on the grad transfer recruiting market. Now, this goes again for everybody but you won't be able to bring those guys into 
Champaign-Urbana, show them the brand new complex, and help give them that face-to-face sell job that you might need to convince them to come to Illinois instead of any other Big Ten school. So, Matthew, good question. I I do like Whitman. Overall, I do. I like how eloquent he is. I think that he is earnest, and that is okay to be an athletic director and be earnest and be very open about how much you love the university you work for. It's a far cry from Mike Thomas, and I like that contrast with them. But I don't see Whitman getting to that level until I see sustained football success here. And that, again, I think is what even he is going to judge himself about, is do I get Illinois football to a place of relevancy? Last year alone, did not do that. This is from my favorite name on Twitter, Stevie Janowski, a guy who names himself after a character, one of the funniest characters in television history on Eastbound and Down, which if you need something to watch during all this downtime and you appreciate vulgar humor, Eastbound and Down, Danny McBride, HBO comedy show that is just brilliant. So Stevie Janowski, he asked this, just empty your notebook of working with Lante stories. There have to be some great off-air moments. And I was thinking about that, Stevie, and conversations that Lon and I, or Lon, Jeremy, and myself had or Lon, myself, Harry, Trevor, any of those combinations. And a lot of them I couldn't repeat on this family-friendly podcast. And that is, I think, indicative of the kind of friendship that we have and how when we flip the mics off, it's it keeps going. There is no, all right, the mics are off and I'm going to go get a coffee and we'll just start talking again when we hit the air. It was really a, a long two to three hour conversation. And when we flipped the mics on, we just made sure not to say certain words. A funny story, or I think a story that really just sort of encapsulates Lon, is in 2015, we did a Tay and Jay game day up at Iowa City. Illinois was 4-1. and one. We had just beaten Nebraska. We're feeling good, right? Bill Cubitt, he was rallying the university and all the fans behind this team, and they were an easy team to root for, at least at that point. And we went to Iowa City for a Friday and Saturday night. Got the okay from Stevie to get a hotel room at the Best Western just about you know mile and a half away. It's one of those really old hotels, and it's got the sort of that middle area that's enclosed with the pool. So every room smells like chlorine. But to me, I like those kinds of places because it reminds me of those holodomes, the holiday inns with the pools and the arcades in the middle of it. So anyways, we get to our hotel room. But the drive up, I meet Lon at his truck, and we go to Taco Bell because he's got to get his Taco Bell with Three soft shell tacos with meat and cheese. No lettuce, I believe. That's his thing. And, of course, a dew. He's got to have his Mountain Dew. We hit the road for the three-and-a-half-hour trip. Great conversation all the way up. And as we're pulling into Iowa City, the Scorps come on the air. The Zoo, which is a great rock song. Very, like, ominous riff. It kind of gets you pumped up. And we just blasted that thing. And I'll never forget that moment. We get to the hotel, and then, hey, it's time to... Go do the show at Brothers in Iowa City. Awesome show. We had some friends and just Illini fans kind of come hang out with us at this beer garden. And it felt like from 14 to 15 was sort of the peak of TNJ in terms of, you know, when we would do a remote, there were enough fans that would make it feel like, oh, yeah, we got some staying power. We got some reach here. After that, we just have some fun watching Cubs Cardinals game one of the NLDS. This is 2015. The Cubs end up winning that series in four, but the Cardinals won game one. We're out and about in Iowa City, hit up a few bars, of course, and we get back to the hotel. Lon and Jeremy decide to go out for a bit, and me and my friend Kenton stay back. Well, Lon and Jeremy went to this Mexican restaurant and basically closed the place down. Lon, of course, in his nature, gets to know everybody there, the entire staff. But again, I wasn't there on Friday night. Saturday, we wake up early, have the hotel breakfast, go tailgate with the Heffernan family, so Jim... Um, Heffernan, the wrestling coach, they had a really cool setup and we hang out with them, Lon, myself, and my friend Kenton as Jeremy covers the game. Ken and I go to the game and then afterwards meet Lon at this sports bar. And I had texted him saying, hey, could you make sure to get a table? I'm assuming it's going to get busy after the game lets out. He said, no, it's all good. And I thought, well, that's an interesting response. So we get in there and sure enough, Lon had befriended an entire half of this really large sports bar in Iowa. It was walking distance from Kinnick. So we walk in and he's introducing us to, you know, 15, 20 people. And Kent and I are just like, wow, like we thought we were social creatures. This guy knows everybody here. And, you know, he's just the most jovial personality. After that, we got to get some food. So we go to the Mexican restaurant and we walk in and he knows everybody by name. I don't think that's hyperbole. Anyone that was working that Saturday night 
that had been there the night before, Lon already knew. And we walked in, and I think one of the waitresses even said, oh, no, oh, no. And Ken and I looked at each other like, "Who is this guy is the living embodiment of Bill Brasky, this old SNL skit where <laughs> it's uh, Will Ferrell and David something, I forget his name, but another guy from Anchorman. And they just sit at a bar and spin tales about this legendary guy named Bill Brasky. All these tall tales about this legend who could, you know, party with the best of them. And he did this and did that. That's Lante to me. He is my Bill Brasky. In moments like that where you realize that he is, for lack of a better cliche, one of a kind. You know, there is no one else like Lante. So that to me, that trip, that weekend, because we had to drive back the next day as well, that Sunday from Iowa City back home. And it was Lante for 48 hours. And it was fun because he's just a fun guy. And there's just nothing but good vibes when you're around him. So to me, that story is the best I could offer in this podcast setting, at least about Lante. And I would have to think of other anecdotes. But you know, this is the good and bad thing about all the conversations you have over the years with someone that you get to know as well as I did with Lon and he did with me, is that a lot of those conversations, it becomes so normalized and you get so used to having them on a day-to-day basis that it's harder to pick out certain ones, like individual anecdotes that I could give you. So I had to go with a trip there. I do miss the daily conversation I had with Lon and Trevor and Harry or with Lon and Jeremy. Those are things that I certainly do miss in, in terms of the radio aspect. But uh, I figured, Stevie, that was a decent enough little story about Lon. Okay, this is from Joel. We're kind of flipping back between Alani-related and non-Alani questions here. Assuming Io goes pro and Kofi stays, go through your prediction of the 2021 basketball season. That includes Big Ten performance, tournament, how far they might go, recruiting. Okay, well, let's do three scenarios. One, the most optimistic scenario, Io stays, which may be the COVID-19, the NBA timeline getting switched up. Maybe that helps. I know that about a week ago, there was a story with Io's dad. or I say a week ago. It was probably three days ago talking about how this is not going to impact his decision. And I think that's the smart move. If he's going to go pro, he should go pro. And he will get drafted. And I think he's the kind of special player that he will find a spot on a team and he will make a career for himself in the NBA. I don't doubt that. But let's start with Iowa and Kofi Sting. And I'm going to assume that Adam Miller stays as well. Again, the COVID-19 thing, I think wherever guys are committed right now, they're going to stick. So Adam Miller comes, you have Andre Corbello, you have the wings, the transfer wings eligible, and you have Coleman Hawkins coming in to give you some depth down low. That's a special team. You know, that would be a Big Ten champion team. And I look across the Big Ten and think out of all the guys returning, I look at that Illinois team with Io coming back. If that happens, yeah, you need to start talking about Big Ten championship. I mean, you were a game away this year with all the flaws of this team, right, with Georgie and his struggles and the lack of consistent production at the wing position. I think everybody being a year older with Io and Kofi as your dynamic duo, you know, outside-inside game, that you would win a Big Ten title. That would be the expectation, second week of the NCAA tournament. There you go. If you don't have Io, I'm still pretty optimistic on this team. Now, I think a top four or five finish in the Big Ten is what I would scale that down to, not a Big Ten title, because I don't want to lose sight of the fact that losing Io and Andres Feliz, those are big losses. And that's the other thing. Even if Io comes back, you do lose that consistency from Andres Feliz that I'm hoping you make up for with Crabello and Miller. I think you would, production-wise. But I think if Io goes pro, but everybody else stays, Kofi included, and you bring in the new additions, that is a top five Big Ten team that makes the tournament. And here's how I'm going to approach it. That's two years in a row. Okay, we're building something here. And you will be relevant next year, even without Io. You will be a team that others talk about. The third option, if Io and Kofi leaves. Now, I don't, I haven't heard anything about Kofi. This is just purely speculation. But he is a big enough guy with enough raw talent that if he wanted to take that plunge, he could. And he would probably get drafted. And he would just have to have, let's say, three, four-year period of growth, and hopefully a team would allow him to do that, then all of a sudden I get worried because of the lack of a consistent down low presence. I think Coleman Hawkins is going to be a nice addition, but is he going to be an immediate impact on a player? That's difficult to project. Will Georgie be better? I think so. And the one, one of many frustrations of the season ending prematurely 
is I felt like Georgie was finally starting to play loose again. The Iowa game, he did miss a couple bunnies, but he made a couple bunnies. And he didn't have that same sort of timid approach around the rim. It didn't look at least like he was carrying the weight, all that weight on his shoulders in that Iowa game. And I'm thinking, man, if we could have just seen the next couple weekends, maybe he would have had one of those Georgie games and ended the season on a truly high note. So those are the three prognostications. Io comes back, Io and Kofi, Big Ten champions. I'm going that far. I really do think so. Io goes, Kofi stays, top five Big Ten finish. Both of them leave. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But uh, it is a good question because maybe there is a possibility of Io coming back. It'd be great news. But when it comes to unfinished business, you know, just because we technically didn't make the tournament, let's be real. They finished their business. They had a remarkable year. And I don't think that we're going to lose sight of that. And I don't think I'll lose sight of that either. I mean, his legacy is secure, even though there was not a Lanai on your Selection Sunday screen. His legacy is secure here. All right, we got a trifecta of Foo Fighters questions here. This first one from Brad Replinger, uh, formerly of the Champagne Room. He says, if you got the chance to sing on stage with Dave Grohl again, what song would you choose? And honestly, Brad, it came later that night. They had been covering ACDC, Let There Be Rock. I knew that. And in my mind, after having done the Tom Sawyer thing, I was like, well, I actually know the words to Let There Be Rock. And Bon Scott, that's not an easy voice to do, but I could have pulled it off, even though my voice was not probably in great shape by that point in the show. And they start in on it, and I'm almost thinking, hey, you know, like, do I raise my hand and be like, Dave, I can do this one too? And what would he say? No, they had a show to do. It would have been overkill to bring me up for a second. But I was thinking, yeah, I know they're going to do that ACDC cover. I could totally do that. My friend Kenton asked, what did Dave Grohl smell like? He smelled really good. There's some sort of cologne. I, I don't know what it was. And he was damp. You know, it was probably an hour into the show. So he'd already been getting a pretty good workout in. So he was damp, but whatever. I mean, it's Dave Grohl. I'm going to hug Dave Grohl. The thing that st- stood out to me about Dave was that he's not very tall. I'm guessing 5'8", five, 5'7". Five, so he's not a very big guy. And uh, he's chews gum. So there were two, two scents, Kenton, that I remember. It was the cologne, whatever cologne he was wearing. And it was the spearmint gum. And I don't think they drink on stage because I didn't smell any booze or anything on him. It was minty gum. And then what they do is they go back for the encore. And then that's when they have some beers. In fact, they even show it on the video board. They're, you know, Dave Grohl and the other guys having Coors Light or something before they come back out for the encore set. That would be how Dave Grohl smelled, Kenton. And then also from, let's see here, Billy, where does that Foo Fighters performance rank among your all-time favorite concerts? Gotta be honest, Billy, I put that on another thing. It's the one concert I was able to participate in So I feel like it'd almost be unfair to the other concerts to throw it into some sort of top five. It's its own thing. It was a fantastic rock show. So even if I didn't get called up, I would have still had a great time. But that certainly took it next level to be on stage with the freaking Foo Fighters. To me, I'm going to start in no particular order and then maybe try to order them afterwards. U2 2001 Elevation Tour or 2015, their Innocence and Experience Tour in Chicago, where I went to three of the five shows all of them on the floor and Bono and these guys, you know, five feet away from me. Those are the best U2 shows I've seen. And they are one of the best live bands when they're on. And when the set list works, it is as powerful as any band I've seen. There's an emotional resonance that they have at their shows when everything clicks. There can also be some clunker U2 shows that you just walk away from like, okay, because technically back to technical proficiency, they are not the best rock band out there. But when their anthems hit, they hit. So I'm going to go with 2001 Elevation Tour. My dad and I went to Indy for that. And that was the first rock show that made me think, I need to go to like a bunch more of these things. And where the streets have no name, when that came on, that show, that was a life-defining moment. I'm not exaggerating. Where the streets have no name in 2001, U2 Elevation Tour, I'm still chasing that same feeling for a song live. And every subsequent where the streets have no name there's been some great ones but it has not quite hit that 2001 peak and that was a great tour for you two so u2 elevation tour 2001 i'm gonna go bruce springsteen united center two shows in 2016 the first one they played the entire river album which is a great album but that show didn't quite click it was the second of that leg of the tour we saw them my dad and i again in august and we got i'm talking 
two people away from the rail. Bruce was maybe 10 feet from us for a three and a half hour marathon. They mixed up the set. That right there is every reason that people build up Bruce as one of the best live acts of all time. That affirmed all of it to me. Not that I had any doubt, but I would put that in my top five. Any Dave Matthews show, the Alpine Valley ones just have a special energy. Uh, Deer Creek, I would say for the 75 Dave shows I've been to, I think it's the 75 right now. For me, I would have to say that Deer Creek 06, Alpine 04 are the ones that are at the top of that. The Stones, you know, they've been fun to see. I can't really say that any single Stone show was the best ever. Paul McCartney last year was one of the best shows I've ever seen. And that was pretty far away at Lambeau Field in a big stadium. And I have never felt that emotional during a show. I think it was this, I think it's age. The older you get, the more you start appreciating that this might be the last time you see these guys. It was the fact that in this 38-song set, this mammoth three-hour production, that you're realizing you're seeing the Beatle. I love John Lennon. I do. But if you really read about the Beatles and the creative force behind it, McCartney is like, he's, he's over half of that pie chart there with him and Lennon. That, he's one of the best songwriters of all time and one of the best performers too. So the Paul McCartney gig stands out for sure. ACDC Wrigley Field in 2015, one of the best rock shows so loud where I started laughing because the noise was just too much to bear. I mean, the, the subwoofer was punching me in the stomach and the guitars were jangling my eardrums in a beautifully, almost painful kind of vibration. So ACDC in 2015, and I feel like I'm going to miss somebody here. Prince, there we go. I'll end up with that, 04. Prince in 04 came to the assembly hall for the musicology tour, and my dad and I got comp tickets way up in C-section, but Prince played the round and turned that 16,000-seat arena in the round into an intimate club. And the musicianship and the performance aspect of it, Prince is... Well, he's Prince. What can you say? He, he is arguably the most talented musician in modern pop history. And that ain't hyperbole because he played all the instruments. And not only did he play them, he was a master at all of them and a master showman who could dance and sing and do it all. And what was beautiful about that is looking around the crowd here in Champaign, Illinois, looking at the crowd and there was no set demographic. There was no age range. This was just every sort of demo, age group, gender, race that you could think of was in this stadium to see Prince. That's the kind of power he had. Um, and that's why I continue to go back to him as, listen, Michael Jackson was great. He could write a hit. But Prince was a virtuoso that not only wrote hits, but wrote songs with a lot of depth and recorded albums. I think the one advantage he had over Michael Jackson was that his albums were more cohesive. They were works of art. Whereas Michael Jackson, his best albums, Thriller and Bad, are really more just collections of great singles. And trust me, they're all-time singles. But Prince, that discography to me is a hell of a lot more impressive overall than what Michael Jackson did. That's a whole other debate for another day. All right, going back to sports, going to do a little bundle of Illini questions here. This one is from Kurt. The question we all want answered right now, do you think Iowa staying? Why or why not? And I kind of briefly touched on that, Kurt, but didn't directly answer it. I don't think he's staying, despite all the craziness going on right now, despite the fact that technically it is not finished business because he didn't technically make the tournament, even though we all know they would have. I think he's going. I think that has been his dream. He accomplished what he needed to here. I don't think, apart from coming back and trying to win a Big Ten title or something, but he would get drafted and he would find a spot. And just knowing how tough he is, the clutch gene, if such a thing exists, he is going to find his way onto a team and stay on that team. He will have a successful career, whether he's a superstar or not. I guess that remains to be seen. But yeah, he's not the best shooter in the world. Yeah, he's not a perfect player. But he's got an it factor that a lot of players don't. I trust that he will go to the NBA this year. I think he should. And go get your money and begin your long, successful career. Don't risk anything by coming back. Because if anything, the Michigan State scare. At the end of that game, at home against Michigan State... Talk about, you know, a wake-up call that, wow, this could happen. And if it happened for real and you did some major damage to that name without getting drafted, without getting that first contract, that would be a true disaster for someone that probably wants to start building their life. So, Io, do what you got to do. I'd love it. We all would. But if he does not, it's very understandable. 
Back real quick to Nathan, another music question. Top five U2 songs. So I mentioned number one with a bullet is going to be Where the Streets Have No Name. And that's where the last two U2 shows I saw in 2018, it was the year after the Joshua Tree tour, and they decided we aren't going to play any Joshua Tree songs, and I understand that. But here's the thing. Just like Bruce Springsteen has to play Born to Run, U2 has to play Where the Streets Have No Name. It is not a U2 concert without that song. So Where the Streets Have No Name would be number one. I can't do any particular order, but I'd say my other four songs in the top five. I got to go one from Octung Baby. So I'm probably going to go with... God, that whole album's just brilliant. Until the End of the World is maybe the most representative song from what is U2's best album. So Until the End of the World from Octung Baby. I'll take one from War. I love Sunday Bloody Sunday, but I'm going New Year's Day. So those are three of the more common songs. And then I'll pick two deep cuts here. Got to go from Pop, which is my favorite U2 album, not named the Joshua Tree or Octung Baby. And Mofo, track three on Pop, which was out in 1997, had a lot of electronic influences on it. It was the last time that U2 was ballsy because as much as I love that band since 2000, they've been playing it, I feel a little bit safe. 1997, they went balls to the wall, electronic, goofy outfits, huge stage production that Americans didn't really get, mofo. Check that song out if you haven't already. It is not like any U2 song that you've ever heard. I need to pick one more U2 song, man. Bad, which the studio version of it is okay, but the live version of it is something that is pretty damn close to streets. Super powerful live. So I'm going to put bad to round out the top five. Okay, Danny asks, should Illinois just put a 2020 tournament appearance on their banner? Or Danny, I think more to the point, should they include that in like media guides? They wouldn't put it on a banner. But they can put it in the media guide. You were going to make the tournament. There was no question about it. And I think we can put to rest this idea of a tournament drought. And that's I mentioned last podcast about Craig Choate. He was accurate in saying that. But I was like, Craig, I don't want to hear that right now. I don't want to hear about a tournament drought when it was beyond our control and they would have made the damn thing. So, yeah, I think it's fine, Danny. It's not to the degree of claiming that you're you know, UCF when they said they were national champions, which, again, they can do that. Whatever. I have no problem with it. It's sports. This team was a tournament team. We know it. It was not a bubble situation. They might have found their way to the six line, maybe even the five line if they had a good Big Ten tournament. So why not, Danny? I think that that is a call for the athletic department to make. I don't think anyone would fault them if they want to put an asterisk or something like that. And maybe the way that you do it is just asterisk at the end of that schedule and results. You just say NCAA tournament canceled due to coronavirus. Just as a reminder that, yeah, this team that won 21 regular season games and 13 Big Ten games, they would have been in and they would have been dangerous. Okay, from Todd Lighty, your top 10 movies, top 10 bands or artists. Well, loaded question. Now, I could do a full podcast on that, but Todd, I will go ahead and give you my top five movies. And I discussed this with Chuck Oplinski back when we did a bi-week extravaganza back in November. I'll let you know that my number one movie for sure is 2001 A Space Odyssey, Stanley Kubrick. And that was reaffirmed seeing it at the Virginia Theater last August. The closest thing I've had going to a movie that felt like a rock concert almost. It is a true spectacle and it still confounds me to this day what that movie means or what it's trying to say. But that's, I think, the beauty of it. And how 50 years later, we're still looking at this movie. Technically, it is brilliant to look at. It has not aged much at all. And we continue to find this mystery around it. So to me, the most powerful art is when you can't entirely put your finger on it and yet you still go back to it. Two, I'm going There Will Be Blood, which I'm going to watch sometime over this extended hiatus. I haven't watched it probably in a couple of years. That's Paul Thomas Anderson, the director. Daniel Day-Lewis, the actor. Phenomenal performance. But everything in that movie, from the way it's shot to the musical score to just the overall tone, there's not a lot of violence in it. There's not a lot of blood, despite the title, There Will Be Blood, but the entire thing feels violent and it feels very dangerous, like it's on the precipice of something bad happening. And it all culminates in this final scene that I remember the first time I saw in the theater, I thought, I'm coming back tomorrow. I think I did. I went back the very next day to see it again in the theater. There Will Be Blood, number two. For number three, I guess we could go with a... Scorsese movie. I mean, Goodfellas, I know it's kind of a token pick. I'm going to go Taxi Driver by a nose over Goodfellas, even though Goodfellas is more rewatchable. But the more time goes on, the more Taxi Driver seems to resonate. By the way, The Irishman, if people were complaining about the length of it, 
You got plenty of time now. Spend an afternoon watching The Irishman. It's a fantastic film and get over the CGI thing. I want De Niro, Pacino, and Pesci on the screen as long as they're alive. Put them on the screen even if the CGI isn't perfect. And by the way, it's fine. It did not take me out of the movie. The performances and the direction are just so strong. I'll go with a Coen Brothers movie, No Country for Old Men, which its tone and vibe are very similar to There Will Be Blood. I go between that and Fargo. And you know what? I don't know. I'm probably putting Fargo just a little bit above that. I absolutely love that movie. And then for Tarantino, I'll I'll give him one too. Pulp Fiction's the easy pick. Jackie Brown is criminally underrated, though it's starting to gain more respect over the years. And I loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I thought that that was kind of the culmination of everything that Tarantino's done. Top 10 bands. I know I only gave you about five, six, seven movies, but top 10 bands. Led Zeppelin is number one with a bullet. No one comes close to me. Rolling Stones, I'm going to put number two, and Beatles, number three. I understand that the Beatles at their peak were better than the Stones at their peak, but the Stones, to me, are more quintessentially rock and roll, and they're run from Beggar's Banquet, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, Exile on Main Street, is as good of a four-album run as any band has ever had. So if you question about the Stones and are they really that good, listen to those four albums alone, yes. They are brilliant. I know there's been a lot of filler over the years, but I'm just glad they're still around. That's another one. I got the Stones this summer. Maybe. And they don't want to mess with coronavirus. I mean, Keith and his compromised lungs, getting COVID-19 would be a disaster. So I'd rather those guys just stay safe and come back when they can. So let's see. Zeppelin, Stones, Beatles. That's my top three. That's a lot of people's top three in any particular order. U2, I'm going to put number four and their importance to me. It's funny that I love you too, and yet their music hasn't influenced how I write music necessarily, but there's some power in what they do. Also got to go with ACDC. I know complete opposite end of the spectrum, but ACDC, I'm going to go Rage Against the Machine. I'm going to go Queens of the Stone Age, Radiohead, even though it's been a while since I've been into them, but man, they're, they're good. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Absolutely brilliant stuff. I'll round it out with, let's see, did I say Queens of the Stone Age? I think I did. Uh, My Morning Jacket, criminally underrated band. Unfortunately, they haven't been active really the last few years. And Bruce Springs and the E Street Band and Tom Payne and the Heartbreakers. So that might be 11, 12, I'm not sure. But that would be tough, Todd, to give you a definitive top 10 list. But I can give you a definitive top three. Zeppelin, Stones, Beatles. Okay, Patrick Quinn asked, I really need to talk a lot on sports. Wish I could call in. I guess it's more of a statement. But Patrick, I am going to try to set up a way to do interviews and whether it be a Bluetooth speaker that I put the microphone on, I got a really good Bluetooth speaker. So that might actually work. I am going to figure out a way to rig the studio down here to do interview or conversational segments with other people. So it's not just monologue podcast because as kind as it is for all you guys to listen to it, it is fun to get more people in on the fold as well. Let's see here. Billy had also asked another question. He asked about where the Foo Fighters concert ranked, but he also followed up by saying, if you have a list of movies or old games you're planning on watching, I'm looking to add to mine. Now, the movies, I just gave you that list. For old games, I don't know if Billy's talking about like old Alana games you could watch on YouTube or something, which there's quite a few. Uh, for me, I kind of went on a 2001 Alani binge after that Illinois-Iowa game. And those beautiful few days where it felt like we were still going to have a Big Ten tournament and NCAA tournament. And there was one afternoon during plan period where I went back and watched the Frank Williams Iowa moments. Unfortunately, that whole game is not on YouTube. The Seton Hall game is. Don't forget how monstrous Frank was in that second half of the Seton Hall game. Lucas Johnson had a great game too. Corey Bradford was off, but then finally hit a three in overtime to extend that streak. That game is... We talk about it because all you have to say is the Seton Hall game, and Illini fans know. But man, if that wasn't one of the most fun experiences I've had at that stadium ever. So that's why, man, after that Illinois-Iowa game, someone had asked earlier, I forget the name, but about is this the most disappointing into a season? And yeah, disappointing in that we didn't get to continue that buzz that we were feeling. We didn't get to ride that buzz out from the Illinois-Iowa game into the Big Ten tournament, NCAA tournament. But Yeah, I was kind of on a roll with the 01 team. So if you can find stuff on YouTube. And then the other thing I thought you might have meant there, Billy, is games to play. Now, I've been busy recording the album and trying not to get into the video game rabbit hole. But with plenty of weeks ahead, I got an N64 and a PlayStation 2 and an NES, the original Nintendo. Now, the old Nintendo doesn't work all that great, but when it does... 
RBI Baseball 2. And then for N64, it's GoldenEye. And multiplayer, of course, is a lot of fun, but you can play just the single-player GoldenEye. To me, that never gets old. And that, and there's one other game that I have on N64 that's sneaky good called Rush 2. And it is a racing game, and they have this level, this stunt level, where all you do is drive around for as long as you want and do flips in the air and do 360s and all these crazy sort of stunts in a car. That's it. But what I'll do sometimes is I will put on some music and I will just sit in front of the TV playing Rush 2 and doing all these stunts. And I could go do that for about 90 minutes and I wouldn't get sick of it. Other thing, computer games. There's a great Star Wars game, if you're into that sort of thing, called Rebellion. And it's a strategy game that's sort of like Risk Star Wars style. And you can go as the Empire or the Rebellion. It's got all the classic characters and you need to use diplomacy to get planets on your side. You need to build refineries and mines. And you need to build, if you wanted to as an Empire, you could build a Death Star. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? So Rebellion is a game and Roller Coaster Tycoon as well. So those are the games I go back to if that's the kind of game you were talking about. Let's see here. These are some rapid fire questions from my friends. One is about baseball. Is that going to get back? It's going to be a shortened season. I mean, that's for sure. And maybe even half of what we would expect. To me, best case scenario is you do get back in June or July. And I think you go with a short three-month season, heavy on divisional opponents, probably no interleague, I think, at that point. And you got to play the playoffs in October. Just weather-wise, there's no other way to do it. I did see an idea floated around that you play the World Series in Miami because we're assuming that Miami is not going to make it. You play in Miami or some other neutral site where you can play those World Series games in November, and that might buy you an extra couple weeks, but I got to think we're looking at like an 80-game season, if that. So I'm just hoping it doesn't get canceled outright. One positive as a Yankees fan is that there's been all these little injuries. Aaron Judge had a weird you know, shoulder or rib thing, but looks like he's going to be healthy. Looks like Stanton's going to be healthy. Everybody... Minus Severino would be healthy by the time the season starts. So that's a very selfish thing of me to say as a Yankee fan. But COVID-19 might have helped their chances in a shortened season. And then, of course, in October, if they're healthy, I think the Yankees are the favorites to win it. This from my friend Matt. He asked, should Bill Self be proud if he wins the national tournament or NCAA championship by vote? Why not? Back the idea of Illinois, they can put that little asterisk in the media guide saying, we would have made the NCAA tournament. No one would refute that. Some would refute, of course, Kansas winning six games in a row and win the national title. But, you know, as bad as we feel about not getting to see this Illini team in postseason play, imagine if this had been the 05 team and then we get that opportunity taken away from us. I'd be sick. You know, as much as I really enjoy this Illini team, there were enough flaws to make me think that they could have easily, just as easily, lost the first game in the tournament. And that there was an opportunity after that Illinois-Iowa game where they lose the Big Ten tournament game, they lose the NCAA tournament game, and then we kind of end the season on a thud. Well, you avoided any of that. And I don't think that this team would have won a national title. Trust me. 10 times out of 10, I want to play those tournaments, even if that means you lose both games. I, I want to take that chance. But if Kansas and Bill Self wanted to say that we ended the season number one by a lot of metrics, technically that makes us national champions, whatever. You know, Again, it's only sports. And unfortunately, we had these tournaments taken away from us. So I'm going to kind of leave it up to the schools how they want to frame the successful seasons that they had. And if that means Kansas says we were number one and therefore we're national champions, go for it. My friend Matt also asked, what will fill the sports gap and will radio shows run out of content and have to go on hiatus? I don't think they're going to go on hiatus. I think that the role just changes and that goes for the 200 level too. It becomes more conversational. It becomes a wider range of topics that we talk about. You know, on one hand, we want to provide a distraction from what is a very confusing and sometimes scary reality. And I think that's what sports does anyway when it's functioning and when there are games to talk about is it provides kind of a blanket from some of the cruel realities that we would be facing otherwise. Nothing wrong with that. I think it's a valuable role to play. And if this just provides you, like this podcast provides you one hour of entertainment, in what is an otherwise kind of dreary day where you got to scroll through Netflix for 30 minutes to find the next documentary, true crime documentary you're going to watch, that's fine. You know, mission accomplished for now. I think when it comes to our show or any of the shows on 93.5 or any of the national shows, I mean, Scott Van Pelt doing the primetime 10 o'clock sports center and there's no games to talk about. 
I think it's just turn it into a conversation. And we will continue to do that with you. I appreciate all the questions. We can do Ask Carp Anything as we go forward. Hopefully it was a somewhat compelling lesson. We will continue to work on getting interview segments or conversations. I just need to rig that here in the studio downstairs and make sure that sonically it sounds okay. But we'll figure out a way to do that. All while still practicing social isolation. You know, there's not going to be band practice. I'm not going to have Trevor or Isaac over. It's really just me, Kara, and the dog. My parents are staying at their house. My sister, brother-in-law, and their kids are staying at their house. We aren't going to see people for a while. And I'm hoping that if we flatten the curve, it will be sooner rather than later that we can see them. But until then, it's sort of hunkered down. To me, I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, going out on runs, that's the one thing that gives me that sense of normalcy, even though talk about a quiet campus. It would have been quiet anyways over spring break, but it's eerie. Ghost town. No surprise. No surprise, but it's still eerie. So whatever you got to do to kind of keep your head above water and keep your sanity during this time, do it. Practice all the social distancing and isolation, whatever you got to do, because the quicker we get down to it right now, the quicker we get out of this. And I got to be honest, I really want to go see Rage Against the Machine on July 10th. Like to me, the first concert I get to whenever that is after this is going to be the biggest release. And for a lot of people, that's sports. You know, you have tickets to a baseball game in August. Well, maybe they still play that game. And imagine the feeling you'll have when you can safely go outside and be in a ballpark with 40,000 other people and just watch a baseball game. Imagine the feeling just being able to turn on a baseball game at home. If there is one positive takeaway after this craziness that we are going to be living in, it's that we are sure as hell not going to be taking these things for granted on the other side of it, at least not initially. We are certainly not going to be taking it for granted and appreciate all these moments. For me, it's sports and music. Those are the external events that I always look forward to that give me the memories that I consistently go back to. And the minute I can start making more of those memories is the minute that I know we're back. You know, we're back to normal. We will get back. This is scary. It's testing the system. It's going to test all society. It's going to test the globe. So it's not just a local problem, but we certainly feel that pinch here locally in Champaign-Urbana or whatever community you live in too. So as I said before at the end of the last podcast, and I'm going to say this at the end of every podcast, as long as I keep coming down here in the basement and doing this, stay safe. You know, Go to the grocery store when it's not super busy. Otherwise, just stay home. I, I went on a quick drive today. I went to Rainstorm the car wash, because I figured no personal contact. I had a disinfectant wipe. The minute that I got done touching that screen, I'm wiping my hands and the steering, everything. I'm disinfecting after just doing that. I disinfected my credit card, and I'm thinking, oh, God, am I being a germaphobe? But then I remember what that Dr. Fauci said, that if you think that you're overreacting, you aren't, and that if there is a time to overreact, this would be it. If there is a time to be a germaphobe, this is that time. But I just had to get out of the house. I had to drive my car again only been a couple days, but I had to know what it felt like to just drive a car. And also under the, not assumption, but I think it's a somewhat safe bet that we might be headed towards some sort of quarantine situation. And then do we ever get to a point where they start telling people you can't leave your house? Well, I hope that's not the case. And that would seem pretty extreme, especially when people need essentials and groceries and things like that. But for me, just being able to drive my car to the car wash as long as the car wash is open and knowing that it's going to rain on Wednesday and Thursday and that all my, my clean cars are going to be clean in a couple days, whatever. I just had to do it. I had to go there and just do something that felt a few months ago like just a rudimentary exercise. But now it feels like uh, a little bit of temporary freedom and reminder of the ability that we can still move around a little bit despite all the social isolation and, and distancing that we're going through right now. So I don't know, you know, ending these podcasts, beginning these podcasts, talking for an hour is going to be an interesting case study and an interesting experiment of sorts. And I appreciate you listening. I appreciate our sponsors. And every time I'm going to remind you, dpdo.com, even if you just buy a gift card or merch, but they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So as long as these restaurants are still open, go ahead and help them out. And it's super tasty. It's comfort food, and we need some comfort food right now. So dpdo.com, you can order online for all the best deals and prices. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level or the 200 level for 10% off. And why not have a reminder that you can wear 
that Illinois basketball is back. It will be back this fall. And as relevant as it's been in a long time, great swag is always from fourthandkirby.com. And State Farm agent Brian Hansen. And for a person like myself, what is it, left brain or right brain? Whatever side of my brain it is, I'm not good with like financials. I'm not good with insurance-related things. I prefer to pass that on to experts. Brian's not only an expert, but he is a compassionate dude who cares about his clients. I know this personally knowing Brian and in trying times like this, you want a steady hand at the wheel for things like insurance. So head online to brianismyguy.com for that information. Alana Inquire, Champagne Showers Podcast Network. The thing that we share with those guys is that we're trying to produce content and give you something to read or listen to over the course of these next few months. So we'll continue doing that here. I appreciate all of you for listening. I hope you all stay safe. Keep your loved ones safe. Um, hang out at home. As I saw, to give this a little bit of context, World War II, hey, if you didn't go to war, go in the factories and work 16 hours a day and make airplanes and tanks. I mean, it was a total community effort. And all we're essentially being asked to do is stay at home and watch TV. Now, I know there are other factors at play, job security, financial issues. That's scary. And there are many people, and probably, let's be real, about half of this population that were living paycheck to paycheck anyways, where... I get a luxury as a teacher and Kara is a U of I employee where we don't have to worry about that right now, um, but a lot of people do. So practice empathy and understand that however rough your situation is, there is probably an even rougher situation for a lot of other people in your community. Keep that in mind. Stay safe. And we will be back later this week. Got to be honest. I need, I need this outlet and I hope that it just provides a little bit of a distraction and opportunity to talk, listen, converse, however you want to view it. We will be back later this week. It is the 200 level. 